Let's stand now for our scripture reading from Romans chapter 10. I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. And this morning, I'll read Romans chapter 10, verses 5 through 21. Romans 10, 5 through 21. As we continue to look at righteousness by faith, righteousness by faith is a key concept in Romans and it is introduced to us in Romans 3.21. And now uh, Romans chapter 9 and 10 had, have everything to do with this idea of how is our relationship made right with God. It's through righteousness being given to us through Christ. This happens by faith. And as well, you'll hear a defense of the very character of God here in Romans chapter 10 as God continues to love those who are, have yet to respond to the gospel message. So Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 5, and I'll read through the end of the chapter. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says... Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him on whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of him who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel... He says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that you would guide us and lead us through this passage by your spirit, that we together would be encouraged, challenged, encouraged to confess our sins and repent, challenged to follow and obey the gospel. And we pray then indeed you would guide us and lead us as you always have through your word in Christ's name. Amen. 
You may be seated. I had a little lapse in judgment on Wednesday that I got to share with our associate pastor, Kevin. Uh, When something like this, I was about to leave for work and I saw about a two-foot coral snake coiled up on our back porch uh, where our dog eats and everything, and I thought, hmm, this is a beautiful specimen. I'll bring it to work with me. (laughs) And so, you know, I want to continue to disciple Kevin in all things Texan, and so I got this snake in a five-gallon bucket, and then I was like, this snake is too big. It's going to get out of that bucket. So I wisely put another bucket on top of this bucket. So I had a five-gallon bucket and a smaller bucket kind of nestled in there. And I put the snake in with me in the car and came up to work, and I left it right outside Kevin's office. And I thought, this will just be great, you know. Oh, it's safe. It's a coral snake. It's safe, right? You know, they kind of chew. They don't strike. And, and after all, it's in the bucket, and there's a bucket on top of the bucket, and it'll, it'll be all right. And so I kind of, you know, get to work at my desk. I'm not paying attention uh, to the bucket. And Kevin comes into work, and he sort of stops, and he says, oh, my, because that coral snake got out. Right there in the office, the coral snake got out, and it had been out for some time. I don't know how. We don't know how it got out because I had this other bucket on top of the bucket. There must have been a little gap, and while I wasn't paying attention, that snake snuck out between the two buckets, and it was just sitting, waiting for Kevin to come to work, sitting on on top of the uh, buckets, and So we really quickly had to figure out how to get this thing out, and um, we released it on the uh, south end of the parking lot, so you can say hi uh, to that coral snake. But it's a reminder, not only not, don't bring snakes to work. That's the first reminder. Second reminder, and most importantly today, is... There are things that happen in our life that are very sneaky, very sneaky. And our sinful nature somehow has this tendency, this proclivity to really try to establish our own righteousness. And while we're not paying attention, while we're not looking, out creeps this self-righteousness where if I were to ask you, if I were to say to you, are you trying to earn your way to heaven? Of course we would say, no, I'm not trying to earn my way to heaven. And yet this insidious self-righteousness creeps into our life like that snake. And we think we're better than other people. Pride is evident, of course, to everyone except the person who is prideful. And this pride creeps into our life, and pretty soon we think we're better than a fellow sinner, or or we like to establish our own righteousness. We think that by obeying God and doing everything right, by believing the right things, we'll somehow improve our position with God. So self-righteousness is really something that is insidious and sneaky. And so it's important for us to counter that. 
with the gospel message. And that's what the Apostle Paul does here in pointing to the righteousness that is by faith. If you look at Romans chapter 10, verse 3, so just before where I started reading verse 5, and we covered this last week, but verse 3, this was ancient Israel's problem. Romans 10.3, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God, in what? Seeking to establish their own. Seeking to establish their own. The problem with us is that our heart sneaks, our sinful heart sneaks up on us, and pretty soon we're thinking we're better than other people. And we look down on others who need the same grace that we need from God. So we seek to establish our own righteousness, and this happens in various and diverse ways. And we also, the rest of verse 3, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Submitting to God's righteousness is seeing His righteousness as better than ours. Seeing our righteousness for what it is, lacking. And so righteousness is really what we need as human beings to right our relationship with God. Romans is about, and this is Romans 3.21, the righteousness that is revealed that is apart from the law, apart from earning righteousness. There is a righteousness that has been revealed to us in Christ, a received righteousness that makes our relationship with God reconciled. He is holy. We can have nothing to do with him as sinners. He sent Christ in order that the righteousness of Christ would be imputed to us, given to us by faith, that we would stand with a reconciled relationship with God. This problem of self-righteousness is reflected in another passage of Scripture. I'll read to you briefly a brief parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 18. This is when a Pharisee, a super righteous religious leader of the day, and a tax collector both pray at the temple. And Jesus tells this parable in Luke 18, beginning in verse 9. We're told in verse 9, here's why he told this parable. He also told them this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Here's the parable, Luke 18, verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And then he lists his righteous deeds. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to, to me, a sinner. I tell you this, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, as regards self-righteousness, there's really two things that I want to bring out in this Luke 18 passage. First, verse 11. When we read that the Pharisee is standing by himself and prayed, 
In the original, that verb prayed is in the reflexive voice, which means the Pharisee actually did what? Prayed to himself. He's not praying to God. How effective are prayers if we just pray them to ourselves for our own glory? That's the point there. And then the list that the Pharisee has, not just of his righteous deeds, as if he's throwing out his resume, but he also thanks God that he's not like other men. And then he lists certain men. Now, I want you to think, as Christians today, we might change that list to reflect our own tribalistic tendencies. And we might throw into that list sinners that are really offensive to us, or people who don't believe the way we do, or people who don't follow certain political, social conventions like we do. Do you see The establishment of self-righteousness is not something that just happened in the ancient world. It's reflected in Christians today as we group up and as we seek to establish our own righteousness over and against those who disagree with us. And the point that I'm making is we all need Jesus. It's a very simple point. We all need Jesus. And we have many ways we'll try to put others down and lift ourselves up, but it does not submit to the righteousness of God at all. And so we'll take a close look at these issues, reminding us that it is the righteousness by faith, which has always been the message of Scripture and always the message of the gospel, and so that's our, my first point here, and we're back in Romans 10 now. Romans 10, verses 5 through 9, shows us that righteousness was, still is, and always will be by faith. And we get a contrast here between verses 5 and 6. Verse 5, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. In other words, this is a a uh, means of righteousness through obedience to the law. This is in contrast to verse 6, the righteousness based on faith. Now, there are several Old Testament passages that Paul uses to establish the righteousness by faith. And you'll notice here in verse 6, quotations from Deuteronomy 30 And the parenthetical addition is Paul's words. Now, he can do this because he's an inspired writer. And I'll read this and then explain it to you. The righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. What's happening here is Paul is saying, that it is impossible for us to do these things. In fact, that's absurd to talk about ascending up into heaven and bringing Christ down or re-resurrecting Christ from the dead. This is absurd, isn't it? You can do in your own power the best righteous works and you are still not good enough. 
And that's what I talked about last week. The cross criticizes us because it is a message. The message of the cross is offensive because it tells us you can't. And we don't like being told you can't. But that's not the whole message of the cross. The message of the cross is you can't, so God did. And he did in Christ. And it is in Christ that we receive the righteousness that we lack that reconciles us to God. So we are not going to earn our way. It is futility to look down on others who are not as quote-unquote righteous as us. This is completely absurd as Luke 18 shows us that parable I read earlier. And the good news is, verse 8, Romans 10, what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we proclaim. And here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying it's not a matter of these many steps you have to go through. It is not a matter, righteousness is not a matter of completing all these steps. And as absurd as it sounds, bringing Christ down and lifting him, resurrecting him again. It is not a matter of these steps. It's a matter of belief. It is a matter of faith. That's what he's saying. It's near to you because the possibility of faith can be something that suddenly is supernaturally generated as God gives us faith as a gift in someone's life. And so the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. It is a simple solution to humanity's greatest problem, belief, faith. And that word of faith is what exactly he has proclaimed and what is that word of faith? Look in verse 9 for the content of this word of faith. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the content of the faith. And notice here there's a consistency with the confessing. In other words, to confess is to agree. Confess with your mouth that what? Jesus is Lord. What a radical statement that Jesus is Lord over all, especially considering the fact that that was treasonous, worthy of death in the ancient Roman world because people said Caesar is Lord. But now he's saying that the good confession is Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. And notice here the confession of the mouth aligns with and is consistent with the belief in your heart. What is the heart? The intersection of who we most fundamentally are, our intellect, our emotion, our volition, our will, all of it together, biblically, that's the concept of the heart, who we most fundamentally are, and the belief is consistent with the confession that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so this confession with the mouth is reflective of the belief, and the belief is near. The belief is near. It's not a matter of I've got to clean up my life first and once I reach a certain point then I become acceptable to God. 
That's not it at all. It is belief, and Jesus will clean up your life for you through the righteousness that he gives. And so there's nothing to do, so to speak, in terms of you don't have to go on a pilgrimage. You don't have to do all these works to try to lift yourself up or to try to push others down so you feel like you are righteous. There is one righteousness that matters, the righteousness of God in Christ by faith given to us as a gift. And this is the only thing that can reconcile us to God. And so what I'm encouraging you towards is really the tried and true message of the gospel. It's the message of the gospel that a non-Christian needs so they would come to faith and be, have this righteousness and be reconciled to God. It is the gospel that Christians need that we might be discipled further into these wonderful truths reflected about God. So we need this tried and true message of the gospel. You know, you might think for a moment, you know, what, what do churches need today? We, you know, what does Christianity need today? Have you seen what is going on in our world? We need what we have always needed. Righteousness by faith, as reflected in the gospel. What am I getting at? Well, you know as well as I do that every now and again, fads sweep into the church. You remember the uh, prayer of Jabez? You remember that? Some obscure prayer in the Old Testament. And boy, that was like a evangelical lucky rabbit's foot. And if you pray this prayer, you know, good things will happen, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I mean, there can still be some good in this. I mean, maybe that encouraged people to, to pray. But um, certainly it's like eating frog legs. There's just too many bones to, to spit out. I'd rather have the gospel. Get back to the gospel, the tried and true. I mean, think about the fads the church has been through uh, in the last 20 years. We've got the emergent church. We've got uh, the new perspectives on Paul you might have heard of. It's all this sort of encouragement that maybe the church would look more like the world or would be swept up. I mean, uh, people want to sweep the church up into politics, and we have to go back to, no, Jesus is Lord. He is the one, uh, the only solution to all our problems. And so, I'm encouraging you towards the tried and true. We already have the latest and greatest in Jesus. We don't need these fads. You know, you might think uh, purpose-driven everything, you know, purpose-driven uh, church. Pur you know, and maybe that purpose-driven material is helpful in some ways, great and wonderful. But, you know, I don't, I, I always am listening for People to say, you know, this is the greatest thing that has come out for the church and, you know, outreach. And no, the gospel is better. The, the righteousness that is by faith is better. And so let's be a church. Let's be a church family. Let's be a community that rests and relies on the tried and true message of righteousness by faith only. We don't need the fads. Uh, we need more of what we already have 
righteousness was, still is, and always will be by faith. Now this righteousness, this righteousness is to all who call. This is in verses 10 through 13, and this is a wonderful generosity of God. It is open to all who will call. Look at verse 10, for with one for with the heart, one believes and is justified. So justification is a description of the reception of the righteousness of God. Remember, Christianity is more than just you're forgiven. It is the declaration that we are righteous, that everything between God and us is reconciled, dealt with in Christ. So with the heart, one believes and is justified. With the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Now, this is somewhat a repetition of verse 9 because it connects what's the belief in the heart with the confession. They're consistent with each other. Verse 11, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Now, we've seen that before. Last week, end of chapter 9, Isaiah 28, 16 is quoted there. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To be put to shame is to be disappointed. And I want to tell you this, if you're a Christian, if you've received Christ by faith, you will, you will not be disappointed that you're a believer ever. In fact, when you get to heaven, we will spend the rest of eternity celebrating. Celebrating our lack of disappointment. Our, the wonder of all that he has done for us. We will not be disappointed. We will not be put to shame because of our belief. That is just awesome. And if you look in verse 12, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all. There's a wonderful openness to the gospel here that doesn't depend on your past religious activity or your religious background. It doesn't depend on your ethnicity. No distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. All who call on him. Now that might sound like a little universalism there. Everyone is saved, but it's not. Because we know all who call on him, that calling, remember verses 9 and 10, the consistency between what the heart believes and what the mouth confesses. And so the calling is not some kind of Pascal's wager calling. You remember Pascal? He's this philosopher came up, I think, 1600s. You can correct me later if I'm wrong. Came up with this idea, well, you might as well be a Christian because you've got to hedge your bets. Because if you're, if you're not a Christian, then the consequences of not being a Christian work themselves out in eternity. And so you've got to hedge your bets here. And Pascal was wrong. Because he's wrong because you will not be disappointed. That it's not a matter of hedging your bets. It's a matter of resting everything on this one who has come before us. And we, to have a kind of hedging your bet faith is not an authentic real faith. If you are someone who says, well, I'm believing just in case. Yeah, you're not really believing, probably. And you need to look again at your life because of the consistency between what the heart believes and what the mouth confesses and what the life reflects because Jesus is Lord. 
So he bestows his riches on all who call, and the ones who call, that's an authentic call. That's a real call for everyone. And now verse 13 makes more sense for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. What happens? Will be saved. It's because that's an authentic call. Do you remember when we used to uh, fly in airplanes and go places? Do you remember that? And do you remember, you know, taking overseas flights? You know, I hadn't been on an airplane since 2019, believe it or not. You remember overseas flights and what happens, you know, you you're, you got your carry-on there, got your neck pillow, you know, everything. You're, you're flying somewhere distant, you know, and, and what do you do? You get on the plane and then you head to the right and and. Who's seating, who sits in those first few seats? Not us. <laughs> Not me. You got to walk by first class, right? And maybe, you know, it's some super long overseas flight and you're looking and you're looking with longing. Wow, they have these seats and they make beds and Wow, they're going to be, oh, they already have a hot towel and a, and a glass of champagne and, and people already, and then, you know, we get back to our section and we're like, oh, I'm seated down here, you know, for the next 28 hours, I'm going to be like this up against the window. And you sort of feel, you, you feel like a second class citizen sometimes. And I want to tell you the good news of the gospel is that whether Jew or Greek, none of us, the gospel makes us all first-class citizens. The gospel indeed makes us all have the rights and the privileges of all that God has blessed us with. Remember Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 32, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? First class for the Christians. All who call, and the calling there reflects a consistency with the heart and with the mouth and with the life so all who call will be saved, and it doesn't matter your religious background, doesn't matter your ethnicity or your race, Jew and Greek. One of the purposes of Romans, remember, is to bring Jews and Greeks, this diverse population, who I went texted on you, the diverse population together in the church, that our church would reflect this wonderful reality of all that God is doing through the nations. And so we are all first class with the rights and the privileges of Christ being given to us. So you see then, righteousness was still and always will be by faith. Righteousness is to all who call, and we can qualify that word call. It's not a hedging of the bets. It's defined for us there in verses 9 and 10. And then the righteousness by faith, because this righteousness is so good, it must be proclaimed. And this is in 14 through the rest of the chapter. We get uh, 
four questions that are asked here in verses 14 and 15, four, four important questions. And the answer is, get out there and proclaim. The answer is in verse 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. In other words, a not-so-noble, ugly, dirty part of our bodies, because in the ancient world, you walked around barefoot or with sandals, you had dirty feet, wasn't a hygienic time. But if you share the gospel message, if you preach the good news that righteousness is by faith, that we don't have to establish our own righteousness, then that so-called ugly part of us becomes beautiful. And look in verse 16, what's the sad news? But they have not all obeyed the gospel. They have not all obeyed the gospel. And Paul in particular, he's talking about his own people here. He has a heart for the Jews. That goes back to chapter 10, verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. But they haven't believed, have they? And what he says here, they have not all obeyed. He quotes Isaiah, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? That's Isaiah 52, 7. He's leading into Isaiah there, leading into uh, the suffering servant, Isaiah 53. So faith comes from hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. Verse 18, but I ask, have they not heard? And he says they have. He says the Jews have. In fact, the whole world has heard the proclamation of who God is. How? He quotes here Psalm 19.4. Psalm 19, a reflection on the general revelation we see all around us. What do I mean by that? If you look out this window, you see that beautiful sky, beautiful trees, beautiful sunrise this morning. What is that creation saying? It is pointing to a God who created, a God who created us and made us for him. But sin came in the way of that, and so we need a Savior. And so he says here, quoting Psalm 19, remember that's the psalm that begins, for the heavens declare the glory of God. Psalm 19, 4, their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. So, what is he getting at here? They don't have an excuse. They can't say they never had a chance. Verse 19, but I asked, did Israel not understand? Notice the shift here. Paul's gone from prophet, now he's to Moses, Pentateuch, law. Verse 19, but I asked, did Israel not understand? And the implication is they did understand and they rejected the message. First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. Who's he talking about? The Gentiles, who would be responsive to God's message. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah, back to the prophets. Do you see what, Moses, what uh, Paul is doing here? He's accumulating evidence through the Old Testament that God is a good and just and righteous God. And that people's non-response to the gospel message can only be blamed on themselves. The fact that people do not accept the gospel message does not mean that the gospel isn't true. Uh, verse 20, then Isaiah is as bold to say, 
I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask me. And you would think for a moment that God has rejected Israel then. But look at verse 21. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. If you take a peek at what we'll cover next week, uh, down in Romans 11.1, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. I mean, isn't it wonderful to think about a God who was rejected by his own chosen people? What is his stance towards them? What is his disposition towards these obedient pe- disobedient people? Look in verse 21. All day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. That is your encouragement. If you're a parent and your child has kind of broken your heart, that you would be encouraged to stand as God does with a steadfast and enduring, a persevering love that you would have this kind of love. What, where do we see that? It's the kind of love God the Father has for us. And as we are made in his image, Genesis 1.27, we're called to reflect that image in love like our Heavenly Father does all day long. A patient, a generous, a determined, a persevering love that God has for disobedient people. Shown, and we know God is a spirit, he doesn't have hands. Shown in how he's portrayed here in Isaiah, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. You will always find God's love and generosity sufficient to forgive our sin and to welcome us back from whatever far country we are inhabiting. Remember this. People's lack of response to the gospel does not make it untrue. It does not make it untrue. Instead, the gospel declares to us how we can be made right with God by possessing a righteousness that is apart from the law that we cannot earn. We're given that righteousness from the generosity of God by faith alone. That's Romans 10. Let's pray together. God, how we ask that indeed you would help us to be encouraged by the wonder of your love for sinners like us. Help us to be a people who all day long hold out our hands to those who are disobedient and contrary, remembering that at such a time we too were like that. And so help us together as a community to remember we don't need anything new. We need more of the tried and true message of the gospel. That righteousness was, still is, and always will be by faith. And to all who call, and we understand something of what that calling means, to all who call, we will be saved. We thank you for that wonderful reality, and we ask that you would help us as a church and as individuals to proclaim the good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And we pray that by so doing, many would come to know you. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.